I just got blessed with a good wife. Not every guy has a good wife. Sorry. I mean, think about Job in the Old Testament. Think about Job's wife. She must have been a real piece of work. I mean, the devil took everything from Job, man. Killed his kids, killed his servants, killed his livestock, covered Job in boils and sores. But his wife did not die. That's saying something right there, isn't it? Like, hey, devil, Job's wife's right over there. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Trust me, leave her. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I don't know if you read ahead, but Job chapter 2 throws in Job's wife into the mix here. Um, And yeah, I don't, I I have a lot of empathy for her though, because she couldn't figure all of this out either, right? So as we continue in our series, we're going to be in Job chapter 2, and uh, the scene in Job chapter 1 kind of replays in Job chapter 2. If you remember last week, we, we talked about when bad things happen to good people, and we said that there was uh, this, this moment where Satan was before God in heaven, and, uh, and God challenged Satan to take a look at this incredibly righteous man named Job. And I'm sure if Job had been aware of this conversation, he would have been like, no, 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 no. Just leave everything the way that it is. And so Satan said, well, well, let me at him and I will show you where his heart really is. And so God allowed Satan to afflict Job and took his family, uh, seven sons and three daughters and everything that he owned and and, uh, all of his servants. And it was just everything gone and at the end of chapter one it says that that he fell down and worshiped the lord and then you open up chapter two and you have a very similar scene where satan is before god and and says well you know he still has his health if you take his health away then he will curse you and god says all right give it a shot you just can't take his life And so the devil afflicts Job with, the Bible says, painful boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And the Bible even says that there's one part where he was taking a broken piece of pottery and scraping the boils to relieve the pressure to try and get some kind of relief from the pain. And this is when his wife shows up in chapter 2, verse 9, and says, are you still a man of integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? And you can look at that as a moment of failure on her part, or you can just say, yeah, that's probably about where I would have been to. And then in verse 10, you have this incredible statement made about Job's response to all of the afflictions that just took place in chapter 2. And it says this, his response to his wife was, shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And that word simply means like disaster or calamity. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now understand here that Job still didn't have the answers as to why all this was happening. 
He was not aware of the conversation that was happening up in heaven. We get the privilege of looking in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and say, just hang on there, Job. Here's why all this is happening. If you read the end of the book, you get everything back plus some. It's all going to be great. He doesn't know that. All he knows is he's lost everything, and now he's even lost his health, and he is in pain and sorrow, and he's been afflicted, and he doesn't get it because he's done, his whole life was spent just trying to believe in God and be a voice for the for the, for the voiceless and, and just honor God with his life. And here he sits, a miserable mess. And he doesn't know why all this is happening. And this is such, this is such a critical moment in our lives when we get to that place where, where what we have been through just makes no sense to us. Because, because we like it when bad things happen to bad people. And we, it makes sense when good things happen to good people. But when, when good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people, that somehow the scales are not balanced. And so we in that moment feel like if we just knew why this was happening, we would feel better. And so in that moment, it's like we have a choice. Do I stand right here upon what I know about God? Or do I stand over here upon what I don't know about my situation? And I'm not just trying to make a play on words here. I want you to see a very clear difference. Here, all I'm worried about is finding out why. And I'm going to become frustrated because I'm not God and God doesn't have to tell me everything he does. And so I'm going to be frustrated if I just stay here. And and if I feel like I'm only going to feel better about this or the pain will only go away if I know this, we are going to be incredibly frustrated. And the pain won't go away. And we're going to stay here and we are going to dwell on this and trying to figure it out. And we're going to be miserable. Or we can stand over here upon what we know about our loving Heavenly Father. And it doesn't always take the hurt away. But this is the relationship that we get to live in. And let me tell you, this is where faith is. Because faith is not knowing, right? Faith is trusting when you don't know. So over here, if I have to know why, then I'm not exercising faith. But over here, if I rest in the fact that God is good and that, and that he loves me, and there's got to be a reason for all of this. Then I can be like Job and worship the Lord and not sin with my lips against him. Because faith is not defined by what we know. Just the opposite. Faith is defined by what we don't know. Let me show you. In Hebrews chapter 11... So the author of Hebrews was writing to the Jewish people. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is called the hall of faith 
or the faith chapter because it just goes through and it lists dozens of people throughout the Old Testament that the Jews would have been familiar with of different people down through Jewish history that stood on their faith and trusted God through incredible circumstances. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but we do know that it was written to the Jewish to a Jewish audience, which is why it was called Hebrews, not because they made good coffee. I knew that would take a while to get to get out there. Gary said earlier, he said it just had to percolate. So Hebrews was written to Hebrews. That's the best you get. You don't pay much, you don't get much, right? <clears throat> so he starts off the Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, with this definition of faith. He says this, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Do you see any certainty there? Do you see any answers there? No, those are things that we're hoping for. And then it says this, it's the evidence of things not seen. We want answers. Like we demand it. Like like all of this has to make sense to me. No, no it doesn't. No it doesn't. You haven't earned that right. Right? Try putting a two-year-old down for a nap. Right? Can I get a witness? Can I get an amen? Try putting a two-year-old down for the nap in the middle of the day. They don't understand. But you do, and you don't necessarily have to explain that to them. Why don't I get candy with every meal? Right? Why can't I have ice cream all the time? There's good reasons for stuff, but trying to explain it to a two-year-old is usually ineffective. I'm not saying you're like a two-year-old. Okay, maybe I am. But if faith is here, what you know about God, and we think answers are over here that are going to make us feel better, there's a real critical decision that has to be made here by you. When you go through difficulties, when you're in the middle of difficulties, all right, I can dwell here for a while trying to figure this out. What's the lesson here? What is God doing You promise everything is going to work together for good, but I don't see it. This makes so, I don't even agree with you right now, God. I really don't. This makes, you know, have those conversations with the Lord. Just don't stay here. Because at some point, you're going to become frustrated and you're going to be in despair because you, you simply cannot understand the why or the how in the world. And so at some point, you've got to make the decision, I'm going to move over here. And I know God is good. I know he loves me. And I know he has an incredible track record. And I've got to be okay with that for now. Say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. That's fine. I got a feeling that when we get to heaven, (laughs) it's going to be like, like, ah, I got nothing, right? But go ahead, write it down. 
I heard it said one time to, to, to kids, you know, you don't, you don't agree with the way your mom and dad are raising you. That's fine. Just write down everything you don't agree with, and when you become a parent, don't do that. And then we'll see how well that does for you. So you can write down everything you think you have a question about or you disagree with God. Go ahead. Listen, will you just be real with God? Will you just be authentic and don't pretend to be something you're not? And be honest with him. If you argue with him and you have frustrations with him and you don't agree with him, he's okay with that. Just don't stay here. At some point, you've got to move to, but I trust you. I have faith in you. Faith isn't activated because we know the reasons. It's activated because we trust the person of Jesus Christ. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines trust as the belief that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, or effective. That's how I feel about God. So I can trust God even when I don't have the answers. I mean, the very definition of faith is not knowing the answers, but trusting anyway. So when you get to that place, when you don't understand the why or the how or the what's, remember this, that everything in life doesn't have to make sense to us. Are you okay with that? Like everything in life doesn't have to go through our approval process. And God is not necessarily accountable to you and I because he's God. We have to be okay with that. Everything in life doesn't have to make sense to us. There are some things that only God will know because he is God. And sometimes (laughs) all you know is that God knows. I mean, have you ever come to that place in your life Were you like, I don't have a clue. All that I do know is that God knows. And I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Because I trust the person. I trust him. Because he's on a completely different level than you and I. Romans chapter 11, Paul was writing to the church at Rome. And he says this in in, in chapter 11, verses 33 and 34, just trying to describe God. He says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He says this, how unsearchable. Like, you can try to figure it out, but it ain't ever going to happen. It's unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out like it's just you can spend your life trying to figure it out and it's just not going to happen for who has known the mind of the lord or who has been his counselor we're very curious creatures and many times we feel like if we knew the why then we would feel better and and maybe it would like there has been tragedy that have happened to people that I'm friends with or family. And sometimes you can kind of figure it out. All right, well, I can understand how good came out of this. But a lot of times we just don't. And let me just be honest with you. The, people will say this. Well, maybe you went through that so you could help somebody else. 
So here's how my brain works, though, right? Well, then God shouldn't have done it to them either. Like, if that's the only good that comes out of it is so that I can help somebody else, why doesn't God just relieve us both of that situation? There has to be something more to it than that. I'm just being honest with you. Like, I don't get that. Like, so, like, so, like if, so Melissa and I, um, when we first got married, well, boy, we wanted a bunch of children, and we had some real fertility issues. It took us five years. And every month when it was a no, and all the money that was spent, and all of the, the heartache that came from, from being denied a child, it made no sense to me. I thought, you know, we're going to really love these kids, right? We're going to, I mean, we're, we plan to really teach them how to love the Lord, and this is a good thing, and it's not like you got a whole slew of people out there wanting to do that. But then you got, you know, other people who don't want the children that they're pregnant with, or people who are going to abuse them, or, or babies that are going to be born addicted to drugs because of the mom. None of that makes any sense to me, and I still get aggravated about it. Because I know how desperately we wanted children. And God has blessed us with a couple of good kids. But I would have been happy with a lot more. I'm not sure how my wife feels about that, but I would have been good with like a good half a dozen. Because I go to work every day. But that doesn't make any sense to me. So someone says, well, you know, maybe God just had you go through that because, you know, that way you can help somebody else. Well, then God should give us all a bunch of babies. There's got to be something more to it than just so that my sorrow can help somebody else's sorrow. That doesn't make any sense. But that's just how I interpret all of that, okay? So I don't know why. I wish I did. And we feel like if we knew the answers, we would feel better. But I believe this too. But it could just be that God wants you to get comfort from him and not the answer that you're looking for. Like, you feel like if you finally get the answer right here, that that's going to make you feel better. But I'm telling you, it's not going to do what you think it's going to do. We need to receive comfort from the relationship that we have with God and that he knows. And I'm okay with that. And one day, it will make sense. And one day in eternity, it won't even matter as much. And I have to be okay with that. And not knowing is sometimes not a bad thing. And we can drive ourselves crazy trying to come up with a reason why. Which leads me to this. You don't have to believe everything you think. Sometimes we get in our own head, right? And we just go places that we don't need to be going with our thought process. And I know I'm not the only one. It gets worse at night, doesn't it? Like when you're lying in bed, everything seems bigger and more devastating and overwhelming. I hate it sometimes. Because it just seems so much worse when you get into your own head like that. And sometimes our mind goes too far down the path of fear and worry and anxiety and anger. And when that happens, may I just encourage you to hit the pause button on your thought process and realize I don't have to believe everything I'm thinking right now. 
Like I, I need to pause here and just realize that, that I am thinking further than I need to think about these kind of things. I need to take a breath and I need to breathe a prayer to God. I need to remember some scripture that's encouraging. I need to do something to stop this thought process because if I start believing what I'm thinking, it's going to take me down a road that is not healthy for me. We need to exercise discernment within our own mind. You don't have to believe everything that enters into your mind. It's almost like we need a filter, don't we? Like we just need to filter out that which is not helpful. We need positive input from Scripture. Maybe it's a song that you listen to that brings you comfort. Maybe you've got a handful of verses that are like go-to verses that help you through. Verses that talk about the God of all comfort, the peace that passes understanding that my ways are not your ways. In other words, he's got this. Memorizing verses and just having those handy to where you can, you can replace those negative thoughts because your thoughts are powerful and thoughts turn into actions or moods and behavior. And we need to realize that we don't have to believe everything that we think. And by the way, Jesus predicted that you would have difficulty. Right? When he was on his way out, like he was telling his disciples, I am going to be leaving you soon. And I will send you the Holy Spirit, which he called the Comforter. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus was saying that I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And he said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Folks, that's this side. He didn't say, you'll get peace when you get all the answers. He said, in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Focusing on your thought, focusing, focusing your thoughts on the one who genuinely loves you. Takes us to the last point here, and that is the better you know God, the easier it is to trust him. And I don't know the purpose for all of your suffering. I don't know the purpose of all the hardship. But let me tell you this. If all that it did was get you closer to Jesus, it's probably not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's the only reason it happened. But that ought to be a wonderful byproduct. And the better you know God, the easier it is to trust him. Isn't that how it is in our relationships? Like when you get to know somebody, you're like, that's, that's not like him. No, he wouldn't do that. I can trust them with this. I, would, I have no problem believing that about that individual. Or no, I don't believe that. Because you know them, you trust them. And so the better we get to know God, the easier it is to trust him. So my... My suggestion is this then, like whether you're coming out of a storm or you're in the middle of a storm or you're heading into a storm that you don't know about yet, I would encourage you to spend time with the Lord and get to know him. Spend time in his word and in prayer and get to know his character so that when the storm does come, you will have knowledge about who God is. 
And you'll have an understanding of his character because we do know that God is good. And we do know that God loves us and that he wants what's best for us and that he has a really good track record. Babby Mason wrote a song years ago called Trust His Heart. And the chorus goes like this. God is too wise to be mistaken. And God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, and when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And that's where we are sometimes. And that's right here. That's faith. That's the person that we do know. So you can trust when you don't understand. Because understanding does not always give you the answers that you thought you were looking for. Let's pray. Father, I've heard it said that when you preach on suffering, you'll never lack for an audience. And I believe that. I only know a few stories, but I know that everybody is going through something. And I pray, Father, you would help us to look to the person of Jesus Christ and what we know about him and that we would work on that relationship in the midst of our storm. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.